Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 4. Our sermon text this morning is John 4, verses 43 through 54. So John 4, 43 through the end of the chapter. And before we read that together, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for uh, the truths that are unchanged since the dawn of time that we just sang about. We thank you so much for your plans and your purposes for us, your good plans and good purposes for your children in Christ. And Father, we pray that you would uh, help us now to uh, come to your word and to better understand it, to be shaped by it, molded by it. Uh, Father, we pray that you would work in us to your glory this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 4, beginning with verse 43. After the two days, Jesus departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he had begun to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live, and he himself believed, and all his household This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Everybody has faith in something. You get up in the morning because you believe that your actions will make a difference. When we say seeing is believing, we are trusting our eyes and our ability to interpret what our eyes see. Some believe in the, quote, almighty dollar. Others have faith in faith, like Maria in The Sound of Music when she said that she has confidence and confidence alone. Some trust the system. Others believe in a specific form of government. Uh, Still others simply tell us to believe in yourself. But when it comes down to it, everybody has faith in something. When we come to biblical faith, uh, it too is a a trust, a belief in, Uh, but we're talking about something more specific. When theologians talk about faith, they will often, uh, in order to get at what faith is, talk about those things which are close but are not quite biblical faith. And so they'll talk about historical faith, which is faith that the events events of the Bible really happened. And and that's good to believe, uh, but it's not saving faith the way the Bible describes it. Uh, To adopt a phrase from James 2.19, even the demons believe that. 
miraculous faith is faith that miracles can happen, uh, that God can do miracles, that faith can do miracles, that prayer can do miracles. And, and that's fine too, but it's still not the same thing as saving faith. Uh, lots of people believe in miracles who know nothing of the cross and the resurrection. And then theologians will talk about justifying faith. Uh, This is faith that looks to the work of Christ, that trusts in his death for sin and his resurrection for us. To know that, to believe that, to trust in the work of Christ for sinners, that is saving faith. Jesus takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness, our sins are forgiven, we are justified and declared righteous in God's sight. But that's still not everything that the Bible has to say about faith. Uh, Faith is a kind of sight. Uh, It is seeing the invisible. Uh, Faith is looking not to the seen, but to the unseen, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18. It's the conviction of things not seen, uh, we're told in Hebrews 11.1. And this faith in the unseen has a a content. Uh, it, It is to believe that God exists and rewards those who seek him according to Hebrews 11.6. It is the faith once for all delivered to the saints, according to Jude 3. And it is this content that, that deacons must hold with a clear conscience and from which some depart by devoting themselves to false teaching, according to Paul in 1 Timothy. This is the pattern of sound words that we should follow and cling to. And so this faith, but believing in things, un, in things unseen, believing the content of the faith, this faith is that which guides our lives because we walk by faith and not by sight. But today we're going to talk about still other aspects of faith, where it is grounded and how it grows. We're going to talk about the object of faith and the increase of faith. So what is faith and how do you grow it? Faith does not start with signs and miracles and powers or even reason or or voices from heaven and so on. Faith begins by taking God at his word and then letting him prove faithful. And that's what we're going to see. That's that's what, that's, uh, what we see in our outline. We'll talk about what it's not. It's not grounded in signs and so on. What it is, it's taking God at his word and then how it grows, taking God at his word and then letting him prove faithful. So what it's not, what it is, and how it grows. First, what it's not. Uh, I wonder if, if you are hesitant to believe, what's holding you back? Uh, for some, they think things like, well, if only God would, if only God would do this in my life, if only God would show himself to me, if only God would give me a sign, if only God would speak to me, if I could only hear his voice and see his hand, then I would believe. But I also wonder if you've ever considered that, that that's not quite the way relationships work. You don't begin a relationship by saying, you prove your undying loyalty to me right here, right now, or this relationship is never going to get off the ground. That's not the way I introduced myself to Deborah, right? That's not the way mutual trust grows. But that's what some of us are looking for in our relationship with God. And it, wasn't, it isn't any different today than it was 2,000 years ago. 
We come to John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54, and uh, Jesus had spent two days in a city called Samaria where the people believed in him because of the testimony of the Samaritan woman and the word of Jesus himself. Uh, But if you remember, Jesus was on his way from Judea to Galilee, and Samaria was just a, a short pit stop on Jesus' way north. And so in verse 43, Jesus picks up the main journey. So verse 43 says this, after the two days, Jesus departed for Galilee. So uh, there's this interesting couple of verses here, though, because it's hard for people to understand how they fit together. Verse 44 begins uh, with the word for. Uh, And so verse 44 gives us the reason that Jesus was going to Galilee. Verse 44 says this, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Now, it seems odd Uh, that the reason Jesus would go to his hometown in Galilee is because he has no honor there. And then in verse 45, we read, uh, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So Jesus goes to Galilee because there he has no honor, and when he gets there, they welcome him. Hmm. Uh, how, How are we to understand how these verses fit together? Well, it actually helps if you go back to the beginning of the chapter in, in John 4, verses 1 through 3. So in the beginning of the chapter, we read this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So why did Jesus leave Judea in the first place? He left Judea because of his growing popularity. Throughout the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus has this keen sense of timing. He repeatedly says, my hour or my time has not yet come until we read in John 13, 1, that Jesus knew that his hour had come. But Jesus' popularity in Judea was beginning to attract attention. He, he, he knew where that attention would lead eventually, and so he leaves the big city and the attention of the crowds and goes to his hometown. Now, of course, they welcome him, and we'll come back to that, but, but he's one of their own after all, right? He's the carpenter's son. He, he can't be anybody all that special because he's just a local boy. So Jesus goes to his hometown to get out of the spotlight, to not attract the attention of the religious leaders who will ultimately oppose him and uh, accuse him and try him and put him to death. But let's notice uh, now why they do welcome him. Uh, verse 40, 45 tells us that they, they too had gone up to the feast. Now, this refers to earlier in chapter 3, but they too had gone up to the feast and they saw his miracles. See, their welcoming him is tied to their seeing. Now, Jesus gets to Cana where he did his first miracle and some official comes to him whose son is sick and he comes to Jesus and asks him to come and heal his son. And Jesus' answer to him seems almost unkind in light of the situation. I mean, this person doesn't come to test Jesus. He's not seeking the sensational. His son is sick. Nevertheless, Jesus says in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, Jesus is not speaking to this man only because when he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe, the yous there are both plural. And so Jesus is saying, unless you guys see signs and wonders, you guys will not believe. 
His reply is not just to this man, but to all the Galileans, right? Everyone around him. They, they welcomed him because they saw something that he did in Jerusalem, in Judea. I think, though, there is a, a kind of tender challenge in Jesus' words to this man. Jesus uh, doesn't want to just save this man's son. Uh, he, he wants to save his soul. But that requires more than miraculous faith. This man has come seeking miracles from a miracle worker. Jesus wants to give him himself. And throughout John's gospel, uh, people seek signs. John 2.18, the, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us? And John 6.30, they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may per- see and believe you? What work do you perform? And we see this throughout the other gospels as well. Matthew 16.1, the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And Jesus' response to their demands is clear. In Matthew, we read in Matthew 12, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. You might think, well, what's so wrong uh, with seeking signs? Think about it like this. One way of thinking about it, you know, an insecure child who wants his mommy or daddy to tell him that they love him makes sense. You you want to tell your child that you love them. You want to affirm your love for them again and again. Uh, But there is a kind of controlling insecurity that that demands that people prove their love in ways prescribed by the demander, right? Unless you do X, you don't love me. That's manipulation. Uh, And this is what's going on here, right? The people want God to meet them on their terms and their terms only. And what's worse, we'll see as we go on, what they really want is not Jesus... They just want Jesus to perform. It's it's like if you have a rich daddy and you only show up when your bills need to be paid. One begins to wonder, do you love me or my money? The people were wanting to know Jesus, or weren't wanting to know Jesus. They just wanted his power. Whether to make their lives better, right? His healings, his exorcisms, his feeding the 5,000, or for entertainment value, right? Look, Look at this wonder worker who's come to town. But that's not faith. Faith is not grounded in shows of power in that way. Faith is not grounded in the amazing, in the aesthetic, or in the emotional. Similarly, if you come to church seeking some amazing immediate work of God or some aesthetic experience through singing or some emotional experience through the service, you're not coming to seek God. You're coming to seek some some worldly sensation under the guise of seeking God. Of course, the world can often offer the the amazing and the aesthetic and the emotional often better than you can find it in church on Sunday morning. So if that's what you're seeking, you'll eventually stop coming to church and go somewhere else. Now, God can do the miraculous, right? He can do the miraculous even today. He, he, He doesn't do it on demand. God's not a streaming service, but he does at times do miraculous things. Worship can be an aesthetic experience. Worship is beautiful. I think liturgy is beautiful. Music is beautiful. Worship can be an emotional experience, right? Whether through the music or the liturgy or the sermon, right? If if you're an emotional person, there's plenty here to to call out those emotions, whether brokenheartedness over sin or love and delight and joy in our Savior. And none of that is bad. It's just not the foundation of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith, not, not by miracles. We walk by faith, not by beautiful things. Uh, We walk by faith, not by feelings. 
feelings come and go, and, and some worship services will stir you, some will not. These are not the foundation of a relationship with God and not the foundation of faith. Faith does not start with signs or miracles or powers or even reason or syllogisms or voices from heaven. Faith does not begin with feelings. God may use those things, but faith in those things is not biblical faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 23, we read, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. See, we want shows of worldly power, but we get a crucified Messiah. We want proofs and arguments and, and demonstration that the faith can hold its own in the academy, but we get a bloody cross. True faith, saving faith, is not grounded in shows of power or signs and wonders. It's not grounded in the amazing or the aesthetic or the emotional. So where is it grounded? Well, second, what, what it is, right? Uh, I think... Uh, Jesus is being tender with this man. He, he doesn't point his finger and say angrily, you're looking for the wrong thing. He abstracts a little, unless you guys see signs and wonders. And at the same time, it is a challenge to this man. Uh, and Jesus often throws out what uh, seems to be things that are seemingly, uh, he throws them out just to see how people will respond. Uh, and then he waits how will this grieving father respond? Well, verse 49, the man says, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, what this man doesn't know is that it doesn't matter whether Jesus gets there before or after the child dies. Jesus can restore the child to health either way. But this father is crying out to Jesus for help, and God gives grace to the humble. He looks on the poor and needy. He cares for those who cry out to him. And so Jesus responds very simply in verse 50, Go, your son will live. Now notice Jesus does not do what the man asks. He wants Jesus to come down. He thinks Jesus needs to be there to heal his son. He doesn't yet understand who Jesus is. He believes that Jesus can heal, and that's a start but he doesn't see Jesus for who he is, the Son of God. But Jesus is revealing himself. And he says simply, go, your son will live. And here's actually what's amazing, what's maybe the most miraculous thing in the passage is in verse 50. Uh, after Jesus says, go, your son will live, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Right Here is true faith. It's taking God at his word. And I want you to notice the contrast that John is giving us. The Galileans in verse 45 received Jesus because they had seen what he did in Jerusalem. And this man now believes Jesus' word. He hasn't seen anything yet. And that's an intentional contrast, I think. And, and, and while seeing is not bad, uh, multiple times in John's gospel, actually, so far, people have said, come and see. That's a way of calling people to faith in Jesus. Come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, the Samaritan woman said earlier in the chapter. But remember that the, the Samaritans, they believed, verse 39, because of the woman's testimony, her word. And then in verse 41, many more believed because of Jesus' word. And then in verse 42, they say to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for, and they don't say here, for now we've seen for ourselves. 
But they say, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Faith comes by hearing. And Jesus will say near the end of John's gospel, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And think about it. There there is only one generation that could actually see the resurrected Jesus. Only one generation and only a few people in the world at that time who were there in Jerusalem to take notice. What is faith? It's not seeing, but it's hearing and taking God at his word. Faith is not, it's not faith in faith, it's not faith in me, but faith's ground or faith's object is the word of God. We take God at his word, just as this official took Jesus at his word. Uh, Now, we could talk about really three different things when we're thinking about the object of faith. Faith's object, that thing which faith believes or trusts, is the work of Christ, right? Jesus' blood and righteousness, that's saving faith. Uh, but, but true faith, while it must have the work of Christ as its object, true faith is, is wider. As we've said, it, it doesn't believe less than Christ's work, but it does believe more. So as we've already quoted from Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for, it, certain of what we do not see. And 2 Corinthians 4.18, faith is looking to things unseen. And so that's, that's not less than the work of Jesus, but there, it's more. Uh, So what does that include? It includes everything about God and sin and salvation, the Holy Spirit and heaven and hell and angels, right? All of those are things unseen, which are things that we believe. Saving faith focuses on the work of Christ, but true faith is, is wider and bigger. But how is it that we can know of the work of Christ? How is it that we can know of these things unseen? Because there is one more object of faith, And that is what we see in our text. It's the word of God. We trust the word of God. We take Jesus at his word. And so do you believe God's word, right? Do you you believe the gospel? Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? That's the ground of the faith of mature Christians. And yes, you know, we might begin simply believing that Christ died for our sins, But as we grow in faith, we will see that that Christ, our Savior, trusted the Old Testament and pointed people to it. And we will see that Christ, our Savior, appointed his apostles to bear witness to his story, which is what we have in the New Testament. And so that simple faith in Jesus leads to faith in his word. And so do you believe God's word? Or, Or do you struggle to take God at his word? Which brings us to third, how faith grows. We'll see one more thing in our text, which is how faith grows. Its ground is is not miraculous shows of power, but the word of God. We take God at his word, but is that where it ends? Must we just believe and then kind of hope for the best? Is that the way it works with people? I trust Deborah, my wife, completely. I trust her completely and totally and I trust her more today than I did when we got married almost 20 years ago. Now, it's not that I didn't trust her when we got married. It's not that my trust in her was lacking at that time. But what happens when you spend time with someone day after day? Your trust is confirmed. It grows because it is validated. And I, trust, I trusted her when we first got married but that trust has deepened over time. And notice how that works out in our story. Jesus says in verse 49, go, your son will live. The man believes Jesus' word 
and goes home. And then verses 51 to 53 pick up the story. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed and all his household. You see what happens. Uh, The man believes Jesus' word, and then Jesus proves faithful to that word. And as a result, the man believes, he and his household, right? His faith is validated. Why? How? Well, because Jesus proves faithful. He said, go, your son will live. The man went, and his son lived. When we trust God, he follows through. And when he does, our faith is confirmed and deepens and grows. Now, you might be thinking, okay, wait a minute. That's not quite true because sometimes God doesn't come through, I mean, sometimes we trust him and things fall apart. Not every son gets well. Not every prayer gets answered. Where is God then? And there's a really simple answer to that question. Again, remember the object of our faith. We are to take God at his word. Jesus said to this man, your son will live. He doesn't say generally to all of us, your son will live. He doesn't say this job will come through for you or this house won't have leaks in the roof or your spouse will be faithful, or your kids will come to Christ. He has said, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear because he will be with you. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 23, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. You see, we want uh, shows of worldly power and wisdom, but we get a crucified Messiah. Demanding a sign is is seeking a show of power. Demanding a word from God is seeking a show of power. Demanding feelings or healings or comfort or ease or good circumstances are all seeking a show of power from God. God, show up and do stuff for me. We are saying, God, show up and make my life good. We want a show of power. God wants us to trust in him, trust him. But how do we do that? I mean, if God being faithful doesn't mean my life being comfortable, how can I know I can trust him? The answer is because we do have a show of power. In fact, we have the show of power in the resurrection. Jesus trusted his father. He took him at his word, and it led to the cross. But after the cross came the crown. After death came resurrection. There there is God's show of power. And it says to us, no matter how bad things get, no matter how dark is that valley, no matter how long the shadow of death, God is faithful. How is faith strengthened? We take God at his word and he proves faithful. Believe God's word, take him at his word, and then look for him to be faithful. That's not the same thing as putting God to the test, by the way. You're not saying, okay, fine, God, prove it. There's a difference there in attitude. We take him at his word and then we wait expectantly for him to prove faithful in his good and wise timing. We want shows of worldly power. We get a crucified Messiah. But if we will only take God at his word, he will prove himself faithful. As he did in the resurrection of Jesus, so will he do in our lives as we trust in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would teach us to trust in you, teach us to take you at your word, And teach us to look to the resurrection where you have proven yourself faithful and to know that no matter how bad things get, 
uh, even though we face death in this life, we will rise from the dead on the last day, and all things will be made new. That is our hope. That is our joy. And yet we pray, Father, that you would care for us now as we await the resurrection to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.